0: Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit HeritageFoodsUSA.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more.
1: Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and we're coming to you live from Roberto's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Today is Wednesday, June 25th, and this is the 25th episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Now, before I get started, I want to let you all know that we've just kicked off our five-year anniversary summer membership drive here at Heritage Radio Network. And as you may know, we are a nonprofit, and we need your support. So if you like what you hear here and and all of our amazing programs, I hope you will become a member and support us. You can go to our website, heritageradionetwork.org, and click on Donate near the top of the page. It's very simple. So we would appreciate your support. Thanks. Now, as I said, this is Episode 25, and to celebrate, I brought cronuts. which I hadn't had until today. So um, that was exciting. Uh, we, we, have, we have have had sweets in the house and we also have a spice guru who I will introduce in a moment. First, I will do my PR tip and then later we will have speed around questions, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. All right, as the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip off the show with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to go out of your comfort zone. Take risks and do things that you may take risks and do things that you may not normally do. Such as go to a networking event solo or take a class to learn a new skill or even start your own business. It's easy to stick with your routine and what's safe, doing what you're comfortable with, but challenging yourself could lead to great rewards. You don't know what something is like until you try it, and you may actually fall in love with something new. So, as Nike says, just do it. That's my tip today. Okay, so my guest today is Lior Lev Sarkars. He is the chef, spice blender, and owner of La Boite, a biscuits, and I don't think he says it biscuits, he says bisqui. Biscuit. Biscuit. I say biscuits, but I got the other pronunciations right. <laughs> Perfect, yeah. <laughs> okay, so La Boite is a biscuit and spice shop in New York City. Lior has been named one of Bon tastemakers of 2012. He has also been featured in numerous publications, including the New York Times, Vogue, Savoir, and Food & Wine Magazine. Lior previously worked for Danielle Ballou at his flagship restaurant, Danielle, and has produced a cookbook entitled The Art of Blending, which features 41 blends, along with recipes and cooking tips provided by renowned chefs and culinary minds. So Welcome.
2: Well, thank you for having me here. Congratulations 25th show. That's a big uh, it's a, step stone and so.
1: It's 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 a Yeah, it's a little milestone. It is. It's, so, it's a good number, it so. It is.
2: I like 25.
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad you're my 25th guest. So, um so I wanted to find out about how you became a chef and a spice blender expert because that is unique.
2: I I became a chef I started cooking. I always tell her that I wish I had a grandmother who taught me everything. That would be an awesome story, you know, for speaking in front of people. But they were great women. The cooking was not their forte. I cooked because my mom was working late. So I cooked dinner with my younger sister.
1: That's a great story.
2: And it is. Now it is. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, later on, uh, I needed to get a job as uh, you're, uh, you know, expected when you're becoming an adult. and. I thought I would give it a chance, you know, cooking. I started cooking without any formal training in Israel. And three years or four years later, realized that maybe I should get some formal training and move to Lyon, France. Went to the Paul Bocuse Institute and really discovered, you know, uh, a great passion for this. And that, that might be my call in life. Uh,
1: I had dinner at, well, at, at, at
2: Paul Bocuse, Paul Bocuse. Yeah. a
1: couple years ago. I was in Lyon. And he he walked around, and he introduced himself to every table, and it was a really special experience.
2: Yeah, it, it absolutely is. I mean, I I think that thanks to uh, people like Paul and uh, others of his generation, we are able to sit here today and talk about cooking uh, and not hide it. Even my mom, it took her about 12, 15 years to accept that what I was doing is, is a profession. It's a job, you know, and mm-hmm. I think... Uh, thanks to Paul again, uh, this is happening. And uh, the spices were always kind of in the background, you know, growing up in Israel and being exposed to such a a diverse cuisine with so many spices and things. But the big push in my career was meeting Olivier Rolanger in Concal in Brittany, uh, three Michelin star uh, restaurant at that time and usage of spices from all over the world. And Olivier really saw that interest in me and, and... Became a, a good friend, but beyond that, a mentor for me and really pushed me into that. I just put it aside for about 10 12 years until I uh, realized that this is what I should be doing.
1: Well, you were learning and you started. In
2: I was, yeah, yeah I was learning and uh, uh, moved to New York in 2002 to work for Daniel Boulou. As you mentioned, uh, tremendous experience. You know, I, I owe Daniel uh, a, a big part of my career and, and really showing me. Uh, different things in this its great profession. And one of these great things is uh, showing me that, you know, uh, cooking doesn't uh, have to end in opening your own restaurant. There's many other professions within this industry uh, that are Mm -hmm. great. And I took his advice and um, started La Boite eight years ago uh, by baking biscuits or biscuits and uh, blending spices and sourcing spices from all over the world.
1: So how did you get started with that? I, I think I, I, was, I was Googling you, and I, there was so much out there press-wise and articles on your collaborations with chefs, which we will get to. But it, I think I read that with Danielle you started with working with him on some spice blends.
2: Yeah, so when I arrived to, to Restaurant Danielle in 2002, uh, very quickly I... I had the freedom of doing uh, a couple of projects and we worked closely with Daniel. And I saw his love for, you know, North African cuisine and Middle Eastern. And I asked if we could put together this spice rack at Daniel. And that was, I always say joking, that was my first Christmas gift. Uh, Daniel has asked if they could build a spice rack in the middle of the kitchen, which still exists until today. And he put me in charge of, you know, curating all these spices. Later on, we uh, collaborated on on a line of spice blends under Danielle's name, and uh, involved more and more recipes at the restaurant and the other restaurants. And uh, that was kind of the beginning. And realizing that even the professional industry needed some help seasoning, you know, their food mm-hmm. and understanding more about spices. And that one plus one led me to the creation of La Boite. Uh, that started originally as um, a resource for the professional industry, for chefs, pastry chefs, and so on, because I think that's the the foundation of, of food. This is where it begins.
1: Well, I feel I always hear chefs talk about you have to season your food, but then I feel they're typically referring to salt and pepper, and and people aren't diving in more and and talking about the spices. And you have such a incredible variety.
2: Yeah, so I think that salt and pepper are the the, the base, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I quote often Pierre Gagnier from Paris that says that cooking is about three things. It's salt, pepper, and technique. And once you master that, uh, there's chances that you be able to cook something properly. So I think starting with your salt and pepper or your heat and, and salt, this is uh, a good beginning just judging what are you using, you know, because we take it for granted. We just say salt and pepper. Who says that you cannot do salt and chilies or salt and, and hot sauce for that matter uh,
1: Hot sauce is big right now It
2: is big and <laughs> I think that it, it's okay for you to use whatever you want because sodium or saltiness is important in food and heat is important and acidity and spices are a great vehicle to achieve it but if I use black pepper somebody else might use white and the third would use a spallet chili so there's no right or wrong as long as you you know, understand what's good for you, and this is where we come in and say, let's evaluate what cuisine you're doing, what is your style of cooking, and we'll help you to find the right elements.
1: Right. So, at your shop, you source the the spices from different places, and then you create blends. Is that how so the process like?
2: the uh, The spice activity at La Boite is divided a little bit into two. Um, we source spices from. From around the world about 120 different uh, ingredients bark seeds rhizome leaves etc um, we offer them as is to our uh, professional clients for their usage you know they can buy them hollow ground but the majority of the business is the blends that we do and i decided to focus on blends because i remember cooking again at home uh, when my mom was late and she had all these jars of blends Once had fish once had meat and uh, I asked if I could take the fish seasoning and use it for vegetable. And she said, oh, my God, this is no, it's no. fish. No way. <laughs> and when La Boite kind of started in my basement in, on the Upper West Side, I decided that we're going to create blends that um, will have no specific purpose or usage. I invite my clients, whether at home or in the restaurant, to do whatever they want with it. And there's no right or wrong. And, and it's amazing to see what they do with it. So we cater both the, again, the professional industry and uh, since uh, five years ago, also the home cooks so the retail industry at the store in Hell's Kitchen or through the website and other venues that carry our spices. And it's just uh, amazing to see the reaction from people.
1: Yeah, well, I went to one of your events at your store, which is, it's 11th and 50... 11 and 51st. 51st. It's near me because yeah. I, I live by Columbus Circle. So... Uh, and it's it, it was as soon as you walk in and you you have the aromas and and you it's it's kind of a transporting experience just to be there. It's it's a simple minimalistic setup, but I think you do that. I'm guessing you do that on purpose.
2: It is done on purpose. When we opened the store, I uh, it was an exercise in restraint for me. You know, as somebody <laughs> who likes to add things and and more, and I collect a lot of things. The exercise was to keeping it very simple and really let the spices and the biscuit come through. And I always joke that I'm going to put a camera that's facing the door and a microphone to capture the first reaction of every single person who walks in because I don't think there's been one person who didn't open the door and didn't say like some, like, wow, or it reminds me of something. And this because scent, uh, which is often neglected as one of the senses, is such a strong, powerful thing we cannot delete our memories that are uh, related to scent. And uh, they could be bad or good, but they do create a certain emotion. And, and we use that as a tool in what we do, is in recreating or transporting people right. and giving them an experience. Uh.
1: You can make one of those videos. I'm thinking of the chef movie I saw, and the kid in the movie made this one-second videos, and every second is a different frame. Yeah. Like 100 yeah, like people, a stop their motion reaction. Yeah, stop-motion video.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that would be cool. And then you also feature artists,
0: right? We do,
2: through the Biscuit. So I I love art. Um, I don't think I could do anything, or I haven't tried yet to venture into the art. But I feel like art is um, often enough displayed in very quiet venues, such as galleries and museums, where you have to pay or you have to be really quiet and behave. And I felt like art should be more accessible and, and fun. And we invite artists every six months to decorate our biscuit box and to show their work at the store. and we hope to sell as as much art as possible because all the proceeds go back to the artist, since I'm not nice. a gallery store a curator, and uh, my biggest uh, you know hope is that not only they sell a lot, but through that they get you know other shows and exposure uh, from people who will never visit the store yet will buy these biscuits and get them sent to their homes.
1: That's wonderful. Yeah. Cool. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here. We're going to come back, so stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Hi, I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. This summer, Heritage Radio Network is turning five years old, Since our launch in 2009, we've continued to bring you food and culture content like no one else. And we need, absolutely need your help.
0: HeritageRadioNetwork.org is a passionate, grassroots, action-oriented nonprofit organization. That means we depend on the support from listeners like you to keep us alive. If you love what you hear on Heritage Radio Network, visit our website and become a member today. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support. Keep the weight You get the buy and buy. Since 2001, Heritage Foods USA has sold pasture-raised, antibiotic-free heritage meats to restaurants and homes around the country. Our farmers raise their animals with care using traditional methods guaranteed to produce the very best-tasting meat. Our pork breeds include Berkshire, Red Wattle, Duroc, Gloucester Old Spot, Large Black and Tamworth, and our beef comes from Piedmontese, Angus Akiyushi, Belgian Blue, Highland, Simmental, and Belted Galloway cattle. We also carry a rotation of 24 rare breeds of Heritage Chicken, seasonal specialties like lamb, goat, geese, and of course, Heritage Turkeys. Visit us online at www.heritagefoodsusa.com or give us a call at 718 to place your order today.
1: Hi, welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. My guest today is spice therapist, Lior Lev-Serkars. I saw you, you call yourself a therapist, right?
2: Uh, I said that as a joke in, <laughs> oh, an, really? in an interview, <laughs> and that kind of caught up, and I'm happy. I, Yeah. I'll I'm give bra- it all
1: to you, spice expert, therapist. I'm embraced. Therapist. You're t- just, t- yeah, it's fine, spice yeah. guy. Yeah, spice <laughs> guy. So I wanted to talk a little more about your collaborations with chefs, mm-hmm. because just from the little I know, you've you've worked with some impressive people, such as Eric Repair. I think you're working with Michael Sol- Solomonov yeah. yeah, from Philly. So tell me tell me a little about that and those collaborations.
2: So I think it's, the, the beauty of it is that it came very naturally, you know, uh, I knew obviously working so many years in the industry, I knew quite a few people and uh, when they started seeing what I was doing, they asked if they could come up with recipes that were good for their restaurants. And uh, then another chef discovered it and then a third and a fourth and so on. Today we work with about 80 or so different uh, chefs, pastry chefs and mixologists, et cetera, in the industry. And what I like about it is that these people who have tremendous knowledge, you know, you mentioned some names and the list is is very long, they realize that they could do differently, they could do better. You know, they were using some things that maybe aren't the best and they want to change. And uh, after we get to know each other, it's a bit like dating. You know, (laughs) when I remember my first couple of meetings with Eric at the Bernardin, I needed to learn more about who he is and what he does and his personality and the same on on his side he needed to know exactly what it is and it took us about three or four years you know to get to the point where he called me up one day and he said you know i'm I'm ready to start blending you know and uh and then it's a it's a discussion of a few weeks a few months of what it is that we want to do what's best for him because he's going to use it it's I compare it to, you know, uh, making a pair of shoes or a a piece of clothing for somebody. They're going to have to own it. And uh, for me, it's one of the most beautiful things in in what I do is to be able to work with all of these uh, people and learn about what they do and how different it is and, and try at least to capture their personality through these blends and seeing how they use it in their restaurants, you know, and, getting young cooks excited about cooking and spices.
1: So you've had to dine at La Bernadette a couple of times.
2: I have, yes.
1: (laughs) Poor you. Poor me, (laughs) yes.
2: I I had to dine in very nice restaurants and uh, drink some very nice um, wine and champagne for other projects that I've done with that industry or suffer and sit at some bars and drink cocktails when uh, I'm required to. And uh, I've learned a lot about many things. Uh, the whole mixology industry was very new to me. The the, the wine industry, you know, how exactly you know right. these guys operate. I I worked in kitchens and in in pastries for many years, but that whole aspect was different.
1: Yeah, and I saw you collaborated with Jim Meehan. Yeah, so PDT.
2: with Jim, it's a, it's a great example. We have a great relationship, and and I wanted to learn from Jim at first. Is mm-hmm. what does he do you know on, on the daily basis how does he think you know and I think we we bonded over the fact that Jim sees the bar as, as a kitchen you know the the way he mm-hmm. uh, creates a new drink is like we would create a dish it's about the ingredients you know I sometimes joke I said the the, the spirit is secondary the alcohol you know it's everything else that goes into it and the technique and uh, we collaborated over Bloody Marys, which we both didn't like very much. Uh, so that was our way of of making something that we do like.
1: I think I just read something. It was a quote from Jim. I don't know where I read it, saying that if you're drinking a Bloody Mary at nighttime, like it has to be behind closed doors. Like it's a daytime drink.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I think a f- couple of our first meetings, you know, Bloody Marys can can look like a salad bar often. And, you know, it's not about the drink. It's all the garnishes. Well, and they...
1: Oh, sorry, they make it into a salad yeah. <laughs> bar. You make your own Bloody Mary.
2: Yeah, but then you forget about the drink itself, how mm-hmm. elegant it could be an hour fine, and, and maybe it's okay, like Jim says, to have a Bloody Mary at 5 o'clock in the evening, you know, and, and it's okay to sit down at the bar if if it's prepared properly, you know, and it's not something very chunky and very coarse.
1: Right. Now, with these collaborations and are these custom-made blends just for these, these specific chefs? Because I'm thinking like Pat LaFrita when he does a custom blend burger. Uh, can is Eric Repair's blend only for Eric Repair?
2: So today at La Boite, we make about 80, eight zero, uh, different blends, plus minus. About 50 of them are available for everyone, uh, chefs and home cooks as well. About 30 or so are... Uh, proprietary in a way not because i'm hiding them but just because it's uh the workload is overwhelming for me uh so um we do not sell them to everybody Mm -hmm. uh they're reserved for certain clients the blends that we did with eric are available for everyone for the restaurant i do tweak a few uh blends for their uh, specifications and um The funny thing is that often enough I'll get a phone call from a new restaurant and they say, oh, but I've used it in another restaurant and I don't see it on your catalog, and can we buy it also? I say that chefs are like migrating birds. They work a year here, two years, and then they move on and they want to carry uh, everything with them and use it in their new places. So uh, we haven't had any instance where a chef said, this is only mine and I don't want anybody to use it. On the contrary, they're very happy that other people know that it was made for them.
1: Got it. That's good to know. (laughs) What's popular now? I mean, is there a new trend or something you're noticing, something different?
2: The big, I mean, trend is that people are using more spices, Mm -hmm. you know, which is a great thing for us, and uh, it's a result of traveling. People travel more and more, and there's new exotic destinations, which weren't the case, maybe. Uh, Cookbooks that, uh, you know, are more uh, ethnic, uh, driven, uh, and I thank all of these authors. And I think the related to that is the fact that there's a whole new generation of of chefs and restaurateurs that are no longer ashamed of their heritage, and mm, saying yeah. we're from here, and we want to show you our cuisine and our grandmother's cuisine and our mom's cuisine. We're going to bring it up to date to 2014, a bit more casual, a bit more uh, fine dining but uh i think that that's that's what's happening now and that's great and very focused or very ingredient driven businesses or restaurants, you know about meat or about fish or about a preparation so
1: right yeah no that's that's all very true and there's a lot more cookbooks out these days too yeah so i wanted to ask you i had on last week food and travel writer Julie Besnan, who is the co-author of The Junketeers, and I asked her to ask you a question. So her question is, is there a difference in flavor between biodynamic and organic spices as opposed to conventional spices? And I will add to that, can you explain what a biodynamic spice is? Because I don't know if everyone knows.
2: I don't know that I know what yeah. a biodynamic well, spice is oh really, yeah. I, I googled it I still
1: I googled it and it just yeah, I wasn't exactly that's why I was asking like help me it's
2: a it's a very tricky thing when it comes to organic, biodynamic or et cetera in the spice industry, you know, I think it's a, still a very traditional low budget uh, agriculture, uh you know the farmers that are working very hard and dedicating their lives have no means to really change the way they work. Uh, I always say that I'm all for natural ingredients. You know, organic is debatable. It's often uh, has to do with memberships and payments and fancy stamps on certain products that I'm not so sure, you know, and being born in a kibbutz and working in a farm, I know how hard it is to, you know, get there. Uh, So I'd like to strive for, uh, you know, natural ingredients uh, grown by people that I trust. Uh, more than I do, you know, some fancy stamps and approval uh, on certain products. Uh, the difference in taste will mainly come from the way spices are, are sanitized or treated. There's two main ways, one being irradiation uh, and the other one would be from steaming. Uh, steaming is more natural, but you lose flavor and color. Irradiation, we, there, it's debatable what the side effects are, although I don't think there are any. The big advantage is it doesn't change a bit of color and flavor. Uh, I think the main change in color, flavor, and whatnot is just the quality of the product. It uh, doesn't matter if it was, you know... It, it's, it matters where it was grown and who grew it. Got it. Yeah.
1: yeah, she said she noted that Van Leeuwen ice cream was using biodynamic spices, and it's not... It, it wasn't a question I was planning to ask you. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> but I thought it was very interesting. You know, I mean, Julie's Martin Yeah, I think, yeah, knows I think her stuff. the more the merry and, you know, the, the
2: more awareness there is. You know, I'm all for organic, um, you know, agriculture. You know, I hope we will get there one day. We're very far. I am, first of all, I think we need to have a better respect for farmers and, and pay them the price that they deserve, you know, and, and get them featured and, That will help us more than everything else before we go anywhere else.
1: Great. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) Okay, we're going to take another break here. We're going to come back. We're going to do my speed round game and talk some industry news. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network.
0: be for and I, I just wanna testify that you yeah you made me feel so good inside and oh, 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 oh babe you really wanna know
1: hello this is Mark Latner from Del Posto and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network And we're back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Lior Lev-Serkars. And it's time for my speed round game. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, I'm going to name two things, give you two choices, and you're just going to pick your preference. Okay. All right, so here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat in. Wine, beer, or cocktail? Beer. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates?
2: Large plates.
1: Tipping or all inclusive charge? Both. Tie, we'll take it. Communal table or chef's counter.
2: Uh chef's counter.
1: Be Mary, be Maria, be Marion <laughs> or Be Marlene. Oh no,
2: be Marlene. Just ah. be just be happy.
1: Really? You have a preference there. These are, this is a part of this your Bloody is, Mary I collection. I said just
2: be happy. Well, be every happy. one of them is good as long as you're happy.
1: All right. Fabulous. <laughs> be Meehan, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Be Meehan, exactly. How about, uh, well, I'll say sweet biscuits or savory biscuits, but you really do... Both. Both, combo, yeah. the combo, the bisque, bisquee. Yeah. Cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Manhattan or Brooklyn?
2: Manhattan. Awesome. Sorry, I'm in Brooklyn, but. Uh. That's all right. That's all right.
1: It's just a game, and yeah. you were you were very good at the game. You were quick. Yeah. All right. So let's talk some industry news. Uh, well, a week ago, Adam Platt reviewed Tavern on the Green, and mm-hmm. he did not like it very much. He gave it no stars. And then today, the New York Times review came out, also of Tavern on the Green. And it also received zero stars. So, you know, what's interesting with the Times is because zero can mean three things with the New York Times. It can mean poor, fair, or satisfactory. I mean, you don't want zero for anything, but it was a satisfactory zero, which I guess is the best of the zeros. Um, I think people have been rooting for Tavern on the Green and wanting it to be awesome, but I don't think the food and service have been living up to the hype. Have
2: you been? I have not been yet. I walk by, maybe once a day, with my young son, going to the swings across from Tavern on the Green. Ah, so nice! I've, I've, been- I've been following the constructions. I think it's it's one of of New York's establishment. I mean, I wouldn't. It's imagining Central Park with that Tavern on the Green is a very sad thing, you know. So I mm-hmm. think it's very important that it is there, and somebody was able to, you know. Uh, put it back bring it back to life and uh you hear stories of many families and their memories of eating thanksgiving there or celebrating you know different occasions there so it is one of new york's establishments whether we like it or not i have not eaten um uh, ever, ever not before or after uh so i cannot really tell you uh, anything about the menu um uh, you know, the thing with with reviews, you know, you you can read it, you take what you want from it, uh, and you can choose not to go or to go, you know, and uh, and uh, I think, I don't know if something is going to change due to these reviews, I have no idea, you know, this is...
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> I know Katie Sparks, the chef, and I, I'm feeling for her, I think it's a huge project to take on. Mm-hmm. And I go running in the park, and I, it's, I pass it all the time, and I've been noticing the changes too. And I went this past weekend. I happened to go for brunch with a friend of mine, and it was a beautiful day, and we sat outside. And it was really relaxing and very enjoyable. I felt like I was in a country club. Mm-hmm. I, said that, I said that to my friend Joy. And so we had a great experience. However, the food was, it was average, to be honest. It was, they didn't have that much, that many choices on a la carte, and the egg dish I had was, for me, it was the egg strata, and it was fine, but it's not made to order. It's, I could see in the back there being like a sheet pan of eggs, and they, you know, they cut you a piece and it comes out. I mean, our food beat our coffee drinks to the table. And it was it was fine, as I said, but it wasn't, like the food didn't blow me away. I felt the at- atmosphere, I would go back any day for the atmosphere, and I really liked the renovations and the way they modernized it. Mm-hmm. And then we also, we shared a dessert, which was this uh, chocolate mousse made with Mass Brothers chocolate, and that was awesome. So we had a really great experience, but... I didn't eat that much, and I would certainly go back for the ambiance and service was good too. Yeah, I so. think
2: you know I go to quite a few places where food isn't necessarily the best, but I go because they either you know the atmosphere is mm-hmm. great, service is awesome. I just go and get a drink. You know, I often yeah. refer to certain places and just go and have a drink. You know, scratch. You know.
1: Well, you know, what's nice is they have this bar set up outside now where you can go and just have a drink. And from the, the, the fence or the wall is down, so you can see Sheep's Meadow from mm-hmm. the back. And they also have a takeout window, which we checked out after. And I would definitely go there uh, and get a sandwich or a drink to take across Sure, th- yeah, to picnic.
2: So I think, you know, it's, um, it's new. You know, mm-hmm. I, I usually give things sometimes before I go there and, you know, reviews have to come out because everything that it's good. Things might change, they might not change, I don't know. Uh, but I think of my dining or eating experience. Uh, sometimes they're not about the food, it's who I go with, why mm-hmm. I go for. It could be a business meeting, it could be just a casual, and I wouldn't remember what I just ate or drink. You know, If I go to eat well, then yes, obviously it does matter.
1: Yeah, uh, no, I, I, I'm with you. I mean, the ambiance is definitely a big part of dining, and. Tavern of the Green, there's nothing like it. Yeah. You know, and yeah. Central Park, it's 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 a part of our city. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I don't know what's going to happen after this. I feel a little badly about these reviews, but yeah. it is what it is. Yeah. Okay, so another article in the New York Times that came out the other day was on how Union Square Cafe is... Uh, they're a victim of New York City's rising rents. And this article is by Julia Moskin. Mm-hmm. And it's saying that after... At the end of 2015, that Union Square Cafe is going to be either closing or relocating. And this is Danny Meyer's very first restaurant that opened in 1985. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of people on my Twitter feed, including myself, that were sad about this news.
2: It is very sad news, you know. uh, When you walk in Manhattan and you see all the vacant or empty spaces that that were restaurants or other establishments that had to shut down because of of rent mm-hmm. prices uh and myself being you know somebody who has a lease on a store and and seeing what it is and w- once you travel outside of new york and you see the big difference between what we pay here per square foot and and anything outside uh-huh. of new york it it hurts it really hurts and uh, I think it's a very sad news you know that uh, you know uh, that a restaurant of of like Union Square Cafe has to shut down or relocate because of rent you know it's one of the pioneers of the, the food industry or the modern food industry in New York and I think uh unfortunately for them they brought the neighborhood to what it is today and now they're being kicked out i was gonna say <laughs> that they changed the
1: neighborhood and i was thinking it's kind of like second avenue Delhi that's no longer on second avenue yeah like if union square cafe is not in union square
2: so it's 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 sad that you know they worked so hard for 30 years you know mm-hmm. uh, building that and the neighborhood just built around it you know and, and residents and more and more businesses and they're going to be kicked out of there and it's going to be a bank or some major Indeed. pharmaceutical <laughs> company that we have maybe enough of in the city. And um, from the landlord's standpoint of view, you know, it's it's a pure business decision. They could probably get what they're asking for or they could leave it vacant for. Uh, but I'm on, you know, Danny Mayors and Union Cafe square side, you know, I think it, it, it really, it's sad that this is the, the reality that it's hard enough business as is. Uh, I don't think rent should add uh, to it. You know. Uh,
1: yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens with that. Sure. And then the last article I want to mention in the New York Times today was on you. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and this this was an article called "Everything You Need for a Perfect Picnic," and it was describing. There were a few sections on what it for a picnic, and the one. Called to sprinkle spice blends to bring a zing to your spread was on your collaboration with, with Eric. Eric. and the the Voyager series. Uh
2: huh. Yeah. So, so that was cool. Yeah, it's a, it's an amazing project, the Voyager uh, collection. It started last fall with we call it the Voyager One. It sounds like a Star Trek movie a little bit. It does. Uh, <laughs> the inspiration behind the Voyager, I in one of my many meetings with Eric, I noticed his really uh, high-end nice um, knife set. He has one of these knife suitcases and he showed it to me. It's custom-made. And as he was opening it, I said, what, where are the spices in this whole knife kit? And that led to a conversation's that as chefs, we travel quite often to do events or to cook in different venues. We take our knives, mm-hmm. we take our chef's jacket, but the only thing we never take with us is spices or the, the basic seasonings. And our goal was to create... Um, uh, spice blends or seasonings that everybody, whether you're a professional chef or home cook, could carry with you, uh, whether you're on vacation or you're uh, traveling somewhere, and it gives you a sense of assurance that you're gonna have familiar seasonings with you. And we launched the first three last fall, and these three, and uh, they're perfect for picnic. They're you know perfect for you know all the barbecuing and events and showcasing that you don't even need to cook to use spices you can sprinkle them on on a cold preparation or something that was already made and that's okay even if you don't like to cook
1: i have a feeling people's food is going to get more flavorful after listening to this show <laughs> <laughs> i hope so i hope so too i
2: really hope so
1: yeah, no, it sounds great. There were, there were a few things in this article that caught my eye. There was also the lapkin, which was a big napkin. <laughs> That's supposed to be a napkin in a uh-huh. placemat. It's like, who knew there was something called a lapkin? Yeah,
2: and the, the cute little uh, portable barbecue.
1: Oh, right, yeah. right. Yeah, there, was, there were a lot of good little gems yeah. in there. So this is in the New York Times if anyone wants to go check it out. Uh-huh. Okay, we're going to take one more break here and we're going to come back and do my solo dining experience. This is all in the Industry and Heritage Radio Network.
2: Reggie wants, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
1: Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it's time for my solo dining experience of the week. Okay, so recently I was going to the theater in Times Square, and I wanted to grab something to eat. And it can be challenging to find a pre-theater meal sometimes, especially I like trying places I haven't been so I brainstormed for a second, and I was, I was in the mood for sushi, and I ended up going to Hatsuhana, which is on East 48th Street between Madison and Park. I had never been, and I, I, I thought this restaurant was maybe about 10 years old. I go to their website, and it started in 1976. So how I never got to this restaurant before, I don't know, but it's a, it's a really good sushi restaurant. and. I knew what I wanted because I had seen a photo of this dish they have. It's called Box of Dreams, and it's nine miniature bowls that are arranged in a lacquer box. And each bowl has its own raw or cooked sashimi cuts of fish and sushi rice. And uh, the website says it's a visual marvel and also one that pleases the senses, which should please you, pleasing the senses. (laughs) Uh, So that's what I had. And I will post a picture of this dish because it's really, it's really quite beautiful uh, within my box I had tuna, salmon eel, roe, unagi, and more and it was $48 I felt it was worth the price uh, it's not cheap but you really had very good quality fish and again it was beautiful so it was a good call because I was in and out within an hour the service was good and uh, I really enjoyed it so if anyone wants to go or check it out their website is hatsuhana.com since 1976. <laughs> Have you been there? Nope, never. But I might go now. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, really? Who knew? Okay, so, Leora, I wanted to see for next week if you can ask a question for my guests. I am doing a tech show, a hospitality slash tech show, I will say, because I'm having on Grace Ann Jordan, the director of operations of Craft Restaurants, and Peter Esmond, the founder of Set for Service, which is a new guest management platform for restaurants and hospitality. And this set for services in beta and they're working with craft restaurants together. So we will find out more about it. But can you think of a question for Grace, Ann and Peter?
2: I think relating to what both of them are working and doing is what is the change that they see since you know, the whole reservation and interaction with restaurant is a big part of it has moved online. Mm -hmm. Versus picking the phone and talking to a live person, as they call it, and uh, and the challenges, the pros and the cons of it. You know, as somebody who does make reservations uh, often enough, uh, it does have pros and cons. And you know, if 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 they're going to change something, what is what it is that they're going to change to make it a bit more easier, uh, you know, and and getting better reservations, uh, online,
1: I will find out. Yeah, reservations or a, a hot topic right now.
2: It is, you know, I, I appreciate, you know, when somebody says we are no reservation restaurant because mm-hmm. this is how we operate. And at the same time, if you open yourself to the web and you block a big chunk of the evening that is only available on the phone, I find it a bit tricky. You know, if, if there aren't online yet, I call and the host says, oh, we can definitely accommodate you at eight o'clock. Uh, so do we really need the online, and if we do, can we, you know, make it better or easier?
1: Cool. I will find out. It will, <laughs> be, it will be interesting to talk to them because these guys are pros and and really work in in top restaurants and sure. and for Peter has they both been doing hospitality, I think, over twenty years. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they're very knowledgeable, sure. and I'm interested to find out more about this technology too because it's new and yeah. I, hopefully it will advance restaurants in yeah. their service.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, great.
1: Okay, well, that's, that's where we're at the end of the show. So thank you so much thank for coming for out here. Thank you for having me here. You're welcome. This is fun. <laughs> I'll have yeah. to come by your shop again yeah, absolutely. soon. Absolutely, yeah. So I've been talking to Lior Lev Sarkar, Sarkars, and his website is com, and that's L A B O dot com. he's also on twitter at love what NY. n y i'm on twitter and instagram at all industry at sherry bayer at bayer pr my website's bayer public relations and you can always find our archived episodes from heritage radio network on our website and on stitcher and itunes so, thanks to my engineer Jack. Thanks again to Lior. Thank you. And thanks to everyone out there listening. Have a wonderful, spicy week. Come back next week at 4 o'clock. I'll be here for another live show. I hope you'll tune in then. Okay, bye. Bye right,
2: thank bye.
1: Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org.